For those of you who don't know me, I'm Brian, I'm the assistant minister here, and I was also one of the leaders of the team when we went to Uganda in the summer. I'm going to ask the question that we've asked quite a number of times over this past month as we've read these Psalms of creation. When was the last time that you stood in awe and wonder at something in God's creation? When was the last time you had one of those wow moments of just seeing what God has made in front of you? Maybe it was something very small, perhaps light refracted through a raindrop. Or in my case, a week or so back, seeing a snail laboriously climbing up the outside wall of my second floor flat. I don't know what GPS system it was using, but it had obviously gone wrong somewhere en on, on route. But there was something beautiful and wonderful about that, of this thing sort of slowly itching its way up the wall. Maybe it was something slightly larger, the laughter on the face of a child, watching the dogs chase each other when they've been taken out for their morning walks up on Oram's Arbor, or maybe a deer darting out of its hiding place where you've nearly trod on it. Maybe that wow factor for you was something powerful in the sight of what God had made. Waves crashing on a seashore. Or that incredible electric storm that we had last Sunday night. I guess all of us probably woke up, pulled the curtains back and just watched the lightning keep going. Maybe it's something cosmic. The supermoon of a few weeks ago. Or the latest pictures from the James Watt telescope of galaxies being formed billions of years ago. Well, the great news came in over tea time today that that's, that capsule they've had trying to gather dust and everything from the asteroid has safely landed in Utah. So they can now do some further investigations. There's something wonderful about the huge spread of God's creation from the tiny to the biggest things we can imagine. For those of us on the team this summer, one of the regular sights for us every time we walked out of the guest house was that mountain range with the, uh, the Virunga range with the volcanoes in that you've seen in the pictures there. It's beautiful. And not least, Mount Muhabura, from which the diocese takes its name. I'm not sure whether that was enhanced by knowing that five of our crew managed to climb and scramble the way up to the top of it whilst we were there, um, or whether that just sort of gave it its real size. But most times, if I was to look out of the guest house window across the lawn in front of it, one rather of the team would be standing there transfixed, looking at the volcano. I was one of them as well in that time. And however often you see that particular site, and this is my sixth visit to Kosoro, it still captivates of the sheer power of the earth that's gone into creating that particular range of volcanoes. Muhabura hasn't erupted for about 11,500 years, according to the guidebook. Um, there's one in the chain at the far end which is still alive. But there was something there about the sheer power of a mountain range like that. 
in the psalm we're looking at tonight from Psalm 65. That sense of awe and wonder takes center stage at the beginning of the psalm. Verse 5, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth that the Father sees. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. It's interesting that the psalmist picks up sunrise and sunset. There's something special, isn't there, about the light at those times of day, of the light beginning to come in the mornings. Because of the way we're so close to the equator in Kosoro, you know that if you see a red glow through the curtains of your window of a morning, it's 6.53 a.m. Is that more or less that accurate? Um, but also that sense of the way in which the light changes at sunset and the reddish glow across the mountains. It's beautiful. That theme of awe and wonder has been captured by the other psalms that we've looked at this month. O Lord, our governor, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. The beginning of Psalm 8. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Psalm 19. And then that reminder last week from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's his, it's not ours. He founded it on the seas. He established it on the waters. And we sung in that uh, version of the creed tonight of our all-creator God. When we have those wow moments, when we catch a glimpse of God's glory in creation, that it be treasured. Because they lift our spirits, particularly in dark times, when we see what God has made. I know that during lockdown, one of the things that I treasured was the sparrows holding their choir practice perched on the ledge outside my lounge window. I was actually reading and writing on, on biblical creation care at the time. And just to have this musical background going on outside was something that was wonderful and beautiful. When we have those moments, they give us a psychological boost. And that's right and proper. If you go back to Genesis 2 and read there of, of, of Eden, the, 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 the writers there describe the trees and the garden as good for food. Yes, that was right. They had fruit on, you could go and eat and everything else. But it says they were also pleasing to the eyes. They were beautiful to look at and to wonder at. But is there more than just being, having that psychological boost? How else might we respond to the sheer wonder and glory of all that God has made? I want to suggest three responses this evening. First of all, that we praise the Creator. Secondly, that we live lives of generous thanksgiving. And thirdly, that we live lives that take care of that beautiful creation. Praising the Creator, living lives of generous thanksgiving, of living lives that care for creation. There are many hymns and songs 
that praise God for what he has made. All of us will probably know a different range of them, largely, I guess, depending on our age. Some of us will know some of the old hymns, but not the new songs. Some of us will know the new songs, but not the old hymns. Whatever that range is for you, treasure those hymns and songs. Learn them. Learn the Psalms of creation that we've looked at this month. And then use them in your own private prayer and praise to God as a way of giving thanks for the wonder that's around us in the world. And then use them as a response when you get those wow moments. I want to move away from Uganda for a moment, but um, I remember walking up a mountainside in Austria on one occasion and coming to the Corrie Lake that's at the foot of the Dachstein Glacier in Austria. It's beautiful. You come over this slight ridge and there's a beautiful cobalt blue lake and the glacier and the ice glistening in the sun above it. And all I wanted to do when I got to that point was to stop and sing hymns of worship about the wonders of God's creation and the wonder of God as creator. Learn those psalms, learn those hymns and songs so that when you're in those times, you can respond to God at what you are seeing. And when we do that, it puts us in our place because it helps us realize that all is of God. All of it is owed to him. Psalm 19 again, verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what's humankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? We can feel this small, but that's great because God is that big and we know our place. But our response to that too is one of praise that this great big God that we worship cares for you and me as individuals, however small we may feel. He loves us and gives creation for us to enjoy and to use. The second response we give to those moments of, of awe and wonder, I believe, is to turn that into lives of generous thanksgiving. If you ask any of us on the team of what things challenged us while we were away, one of the things which is almost certainly going to come up is the generosity of the people that we met and the sheer joy and exuberance of their ability to give thanks to God for what he had given them. At the end of our visit to that village of Chibumba, we were invited to have tea in the pastor's house. It's a house which itself would have been affected by the flood water, but it was a generous welcome, a generous and joyous welcome as we went into a simple meal. And we saw the joy of thanksgiving in the offertories in the churches, both in the villages that we visited on the first Sunday and in the cathedral on the second. Tom Fiona and I went with Bishop Godfrey to a confirmation service in one of the villages in Gasarora. There were over 100 people being confirmed at that, that service, 100 youngsters. It was great, and we shared communion together during that service and so on. It was in the open air, and it lasted four hours. And it was in Rufenbira, not English. 
But I think the longest part of that service, and one which certainly for me I felt I could enter into, was actually the offertory as people brought forward their offerings during that service. It wasn't just a sort of, yes, we're going to wander up and put our money in the bag. It was accompanied by singing and dancing in praise of God's goodness. And that's something I think from all of services like that that I've been to in my visits to Uganda that I carry with me and ask myself just how cheerful and joyful am I at giving to God and giving in the context of a church community. Now we could say, yeah, but they're more dependent on God's provision there than we are. No, that won't do. If you eat, if you drink, if you wear clothes, if you live in a building, if you've got a wedding band on your finger, whatever it might be like that, we are all dependent on God's provision for us. Whether we live in Kasoro or live in Winchester. And I was really struck in contrast to what we see in Kasoro is to ask what we do here in Winchester. In some places, like here, there won't be an offertory taken during the service. We may sort of give thanks as part of the liturgy, but it's not, not really there in terms of the exuberance that we would find in Uganda. And I wonder whether that's a challenge to how thankful we are. We need to think about it. In other places in Winchester, yes, there's a collection plate by the door if you put something when you come in, and then this silent procession in the middle of the service that brings it to the front. But again, no real exuberance and joy of what's there. I remember when I was a student, there was a church some of us used to go to on occasions, and the offertory was always introduced with words from Corinthians that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Now, sadly, if you heard the guy who was always inviting us to do that, cheerfulness was the last thing on his mind by the sound of it. But we're called with joy to come and give back to God what he has already given to us. Very often now, September here is designated as creation tide. And I think there can be a danger that that leads away from the communal, joyful thanksgiving of harvest festivals to an almost exclusive focus on creation care. Now, although that last thing is important, we're going to move to it in a minute, we need to find ways, I believe, of coming together of communal thanksgiving of God's goodness to us. Maybe the whole gross next Sunday is one, one way of doing that as we meet together as a church to celebrate who we are as a community, to celebrate God's goodness to us and the food that he gives us. If our first response to awe is to praise God, if the second response is to live lives of generous thanksgiving, then I think the third response has to be that of caring for what God has made. Because when we do that, not only are we looking after that wonderful creation, we're also, as when we were away, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and about caring and loving the other. We looked at the parable which, where Jesus, the sheep and the goats where Jesus says, what, I, you know, what you did for the least of these you did for me. As we care for creation, we are caring for those who in other parts of the world are suffering because of climate change in far bigger ways than we are. And so we need to respond in this way. Psalm 8, 8 spells it out. You made them, says the psalmist, that's us. 
rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, birds in the sky, fish in the sea, all that swim in the path of the seas. We've been put over those works. There's an echo of Genesis 1. God bless them again, that's our said to them, be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now there can be a real danger with those words like subdue and rule. They can sometimes mean a very harsh, dictatorial way in which things are done, which doesn't take care of what's going on underneath. It's almost as if we can do what we like with creation. It was captured by one 18th century clergyman scientist who wrote this. We can, if need be, ransack the whole globe. We can penetrate into the bowels of the earth, descend to the bottom of the deep, to acquire wealth, to increase our knowledge, or even only to please our eye and fancy. And so benevolent was providence that no matter how acquisitive man might be, still the creation would not be exhausted. They're quite chilling words, aren't they? Now, to be fair to him, he may have been praised in the generosity of God's goodness. He would not have known the limitations and effects of industrialization that we do now. But his words, I wonder, do they dangerously echo the way day to day we work about creation? Our acquisitiveness, our ransacking of the globe, sounds vaguely familiar, I think, in terms of some of the ways in which we have behaved over the years. So we need to think about that and what it means like, to be like to care for creation. So how do we use those words rule and subdue? Well, Genesis 1 tells us that as men and women, we as human beings, we are made in the image of God. There's a whole raft of things that sit behind that. Come back after Christmas for more on that. But we're made in the image of God. And if we are God's image bearers, we need to be caring for creation in the same way that God cares for it. And there could be no better description of God's care for creation than what we find at the end of Psalm 65. I wonder whether you were noting the words as, as Beth read it for us earlier. The psalmist talks of God and says, You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. Your streams are filled with water to provide people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers, bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. Some of the translations have drip with abundance. It's just simply overflowing from what's there. For me, some of those words carried a specific significance through the trip and on return. Across the valley from my room, I saw a field which was grass scrub over a period of a couple of weeks, being changed into furrows and ridges, ready for the dry season to end, for the seeds and, and plants to be put in place 
waiting for the wet season to start. And those furrows and ridges echoed in the psalm. But on coming back to Winchester, here the grain harvest hadn't finished. So as I walked down St. James's Lane to come to church for that first Sunday back here, I looked up onto the downland beyond Morstead, and there were the crops waiting for the combine harvester to go through the field. And in the words of the, the end of um, Psalm, the valleys are mounted with corn, they shout for joy and sing. John Taylor, who was a former bishop of Winchester, wrote probably one of the earliest Christian environmental books in the middle of the 1970s. In that book, he wrote this, the quality of man's dominion over nature is intended to reflect the quality of God's dominion, loving, cherishing, and essentially life-giving. Is that how we approach creation care? What that looks like in practice will vary from place to place. In Uganda, their own burning of fossil fuel is probably not the major issue, although both the state and the, and the churches are doing a lot to see how they might reduce their carbon footprint, even though it's minute by world standards. However, for them, the big one is reforestation. I think we heard on almost each of the presentations this evening. And they are planting trees. They're working in a dedicated way to do that. Not just in Muhuburra, but elsewhere. There's one district in, in the center of the country which has begun to introduce the idea of giving plants and saplings out at times of major ceremonies in the village and in the town. You know, whether that's baptisms or maybe at a funeral or at a wedding. And I did wonder whether we warn Elliot that his best man next week is going to have to carry an oak tree home with him. But what would it be like if we did that for those times of celebration here? What would it be like on, on times when somebody has a significant birthday, they're presented with a sapling to go and plant somewhere? But some of that's what they're doing, certainly in Uganda, and I know certainly in North India, that's a particular practice that the church is there, that all of those major services like that, the families are presented with saplings to go and plant. However, for us here, I think reducing our carbon emissions in whatever way we do that is a major issue. All those things that uh, we were told weren't going to be legislated for this past week, cutting down on our, our eating of meat, being better at recycling, being better at the way in which we use our cars, all of those are important. They're things we can put in place now. We don't need legislation for them, though sometimes that helps. In Uganda, there's a dedicated mission in terms of what they're doing on reforestation. What might it look like for us as Christchurch to do the same here in cutting our carbon footprint by whatever means that we aim to do that? Because when we do that, it will be one of generosity to people like those who live in Chibumba. By changing our habits, we can at least begin to stabilize the frequency and the intensity of the storms, like the big one in May. And we will demonstrate that we care as God cares. 
the rainy season has now started in Uganda. And the Ugandan Weather Bureau is warning everybody in the country that it's going to be wetter than usual. In these past couple of weeks, several places across the country have already suffered damage as a result of severe storms. And we were hearing in the Water and Sanitation Project about children finding it hard to get to school when there are heavy rains. And again, there's one place in this past week in the Ugandan press they were reporting that because a bridge had been taken out, the kids couldn't get to school. We need to be in there and helping. We do that by the actions we take here. Now, sadly, our government seems to have lost the plot over this past week on this one. We need to pray for a change of heart in the government policy. Maybe we need to argue for a change as well. It's fine saying it will save our costs, but the tragedy is if we do that, the extra pollution and the extra greenhouse gases that are produced, the costs will be borne by those in Uganda and other countries like that. And that cannot be justice if we do that. So we come to those major moments of awe and wonder. Those moments where we stand back and say, wow, be alert to them. Have your eyes open this coming week. Maybe just make a note of it in your prayer journals if you keep them, about what you've seen, of the wildlife that you've seen. Simon was asking me the other day about what date the Swifts will be back. And I, I think I gave you a, a, a day. I think I got the date wrong, but I was, it, it was within about five days, I think, of when the Swifts are usually back in Winchester. And I know that because it's in my prayer journal. But, yeah, praise God, they've, they've found their way back again. Now, hopefully now they'll find their way into the Swift boxes and the Spire as well when they come back next May. Let's rejoice at those moments and turn them into times of praise. Let's respond with generous thanksgiving. Let's endeavor to keep and take care of God's good creation. And let's join in with all of creation as we're told to do right at the end of the Psalms, at the end of Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.